to Managing Marketing, a uh, weekly podcast where we sit down and have discussions with thought leaders and uh, innovators in marketing and advertising. And this week, I get to sit down and have a chat with Christian Bartons. For those that remember, he was the founder and CEO of a company called Datalicious, which not that long ago actually was uh, bought. Isn't that right? Well, first of all, welcome, Christian. Thanks. Thank you, Darren. It wasn't that long ago, was it, that uh, Dartalicious was, uh, you know, making the rounds of Australia, and then you expanded uh, up into Asia. Yeah, that's right. Well. The company started all the way back in two thousand seven, but in two thousand fourteen, we attracted some investment from back then Beta Advantage, yep. and that helped us grow into Asia. We opened offices in New Zealand, uh, Korea, India, Singapore, plenty of spaces. I ended up uh, going to the U.S. after Beta was acquired by Equifax themselves. Yep. Expanding the business over there. Yeah, but um, those days are over. I'm now out of there, delicious, um, ready for a new challenge. It's a great name. Where did the, where did you come up with Datalicious? I mean, I love it because it says data, but just the licious just adds this human touch to it. Um, look, a lot of people think it was must have been like a, a drunken moment in the bar or something like that, but there was a, a lot of um, uh, brand research behind it. If I can still remember right, I think we used the MNC brand funnel for that to narrow down a couple of key terms that we wanted to live with. But one of the key things back then was it needs to be of data, but it can't be dry because it's bloody boring and nobody wants to deal with that subject. It needs to be a little bit more sexy. And that's how we came up with that. And I think back then, the general manager of Hitwise was um, throwing out these these um, stickers that said Datalicious on them, but nobody had registered the domain. It was like, boom, that's it. That's the name. Yeah. It's interesting you should say that, uh, you know, people see data as quite dry. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think that was maybe back then, you know, now it's a lot more sexy. Or is it just the, what do they call it, the new black? The new black. Data is sexy, data is the new black. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's pretty mainstream now. I think all of those, all of those concepts are sort of per se. It's everybody know they need it. It's integrated into everything. Yeah, I don't, I think that's why the Datalicious brand is probably also... Um, lost a little bit of its appeal over the years um, and we, we tried very hard to make it a little bit more sea level uh, type brand rather than the initial uh, idea of, of it being like sexy and, and attractive. But wouldn't you say part of that is also, you know, like we had the big discussion about big data mm. um, and now all the discussions around data are always linked to AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and the like, you know, that there's this now significant shift in the whole conversation around not just data itself, but the application of data in things like decision making and, uh, and artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, there's always an, the next buzzword in, in any type of industry, right? And so um, I, don't, I didn't, didn't mean to say that data is completely dried out and has no, there's no innovation happening anymore. I guess what I was trying to say is that uh, you don't have to fight for the budgets anymore that hard. People are always thinking about data. Everybody knows they need to include it. And I guess over the years, the focus has changed a little bit. Like you say, now now it's about AI and automating. Um, but 
in the, in the end, that's just another buzzword. I don't think many people are actually really using AI. And even if you look at some of the software vendors that, that write AI into the name, there really isn't any AI underneath. It's just basic decisioning often, right? So well, you be yeah, careful. machine learning. Yeah, it's yeah. basic, basic uh, you know, algorithms around data informed. Yeah. But then they learn because it depends on the response that comes back. True, true, yeah. Um, we see a lot of that in advertising, obviously, um, but I personally am keen to, to move out of the um, advertising space and start using the same kind of technologies and, and, and learnings in a different space. Um, not that I think advertising is dead or it's just something that I've done for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, and I'm personally more interested in, in starting to use the same sort of skills in the data space in making teams more efficient. And I think that's largely born out of um, my frustrations at the time, starting, building, running Datalicious. It's sort of looking back, you often get a different perspective and, and I kind of go, wow, a lot of the things that we did were very ineffective. We really didn't know how the business was running. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's something that I would like to address. Even mm. though we're talking about AI and robotics and every human is going to be replaced very soon by a machine, right? I think there's, there's plenty of, of scope um, for uh, making interactions in a team smarter with technology and analytics. No, it's interesting that, uh, you know, because when people talk about uh, uh, artificial intelligence and they talk about marketing or advertising related data, it's all about understanding the customer better, personalization, you know, it's about being able to better uh, target, engage and interact with customers. Yeah. And yet it's also the thing that's driven the most concern amongst uh, con consumers and also uh, politicians is the very security of that data. I mean, people have started to look at the way that it's applied and, well, first of all, the way it's collected and then the way it's applied and being used, that people think it has some sort of nefarious uh, intention, you know, to actually control and manipulate people. It's interesting, isn't it? I, look, for me, they're, they're kind of two different issues that you bring up there, but they are, they are related. So let me, let me see if I can explain my thought process here properly. Um, it's right that we're trying to use smarter algorithms and it's simply because we have too much data that we're not really using, right? So when we talk about AI, it's really we're handing power of the analysis over or ML, machine learning, we're, ha we're handing power of the analysis over to a computer because there's so many different data points involved that an analyst itself can't really effectively explore all that anymore and, and, and turn into action because really what we're trying to do is we're trying to totally tailor make advertising for every individual, right? Uh, the right message to the right person at the right time, uh, totally customized and personalized. And at that level of granularity, you just need a lot of different signals to come up with that right message at the right time. And then you also need to, so there's a lot of AI happening in that space. And then you also need to um, put the right ad together, right, for that particular person. The right message. Yeah. Right, the right message. And so a lot of innovation happening in that space, building ads automatically based on AI and 10,000 different variations. Personalization. Right? Personalization, correct. Mm. Um, but I don't think that has too much to do with people being conscious about privacy and being afraid of that. I think that has a, its root in a very different area. And I've sort of presented about this before and we talked about this, I've talked about this many times before. I feel that 
we're still recording data for the for, for the sake of recording data. There's the majority of marketers would not understand or would not have a plan of why are we recording this? How are we using this to add value to the consumer? And while that's not being done in a nefarious fashion, um, I do think the unplanned approach kind of shines through. And, you know, consumers are not stupid to understanding that. They kind of go, look, you're recording all this information on me. What are you actually doing with this? How are you actually helping me build a better product, provide a better service? And I think that's where a lot of this frustration is coming from because they don't see that. And I don't see that in my interaction with most brands, right? It, okay, but I, I'm wondering whether, you know, in personalizing yeah. the communications, it's sometimes, if you do it clumsily, it freaks people out. I mean, we've all heard the story about, you know, it was a retailer in the US, I think some people say it was Target, you know, who suddenly were sending messages based on browsing behaviour to suggest that someone was pregnant in the household before the this person had actually informed anyone else in the household about that pregnancy. Okay. That story doesn't die, right? That's yeah, a good that old nugget. Story, yeah. it's, it's, it's become a meme. You know, it's yeah. almost like yeah. it, it, it's, it lives a life of its own. Except that even on a personal level, I've had people say to me, you know, they've got, um, what's the Amazon uh, voice search? Alexa. Alexa. They've got Alexa. They're having conversations and then suddenly they'll see... Yeah, you know, about a holiday, and they'll suddenly see uh, offers pop up about holidays when they haven't actually said anything to Alexa. Then we find out that uh, most of the companies, like Amazon and Facebook and Google, have all been transcribing conversations <laughs> manually using people just to check that the uh, voice recognition is working. You know, so it's all of this uh, lack of tra transparency that suddenly pops up in interactions with this technology that freaks people out. But I, I think the main topic here is, is using data to customize and personalize an ad. And quite frankly, a consumer doesn't perceive an ad as any value ad. If it's more or less targeted, it doesn't matter. It's still an interruption of what I actually want to do is watch something, read something. So using data to personalize and customize and target ads is not a value add in my mind, in the consumer's mind. And so we, we've just got to change our mindset as marketers of why we're using this data to personalize an ad, not good enough. I've got to have another reason. Mm -hmm. Can I use it to uh, provide a better product? I mean, let's remind ourselves what marketing actually means, right? Uh, marketing is price, product, place, promotion. There's a whole bunch more than just promotion, yeah. right? So can we use data to make the product better, the price better, the placement? And that's what I don't see. You know, people are not using data to provide a better service, a better product. It's always just about promotion. And, and people are getting tired of that because it's... It's it's, oh, it's, it's an advertising world. Yeah, The business right. model seems to be completely focused on advertising. That's a cop-out though, right? not, But not actually customer experience. Right, that's a cop-out though, right? Because I can't be bothered focusing, building my energy, focus my energy on building a better experience. I'm just going to go uh, do the easy way out and I'm just going to throw more money at the, at the advertising bit, right? Yeah, because that's where they see a return on investment. Yeah, even though that return on investment is infinitesimally small because they pump more and more money into basically training the consumer, their very customers, into how to ignore their very best efforts to get them to transact. I think there's great examples now for um, smaller companies that are a bit more agile doing that in a better way and they're just focusing on building a great product or a great service and people will start talking about it. 
you don't actually need any advertising. Mm. People will automatically start talking about the product if it's good. And that's where all the effort goes. Um, I like that, you know. Well, I think that uh, we've seen things like GDPR in, uh, in the EU yeah. arise because that's about the only way politicians think they can actually control this. Mm. That they've had to legislate around how data is collected, what you do with it. Uh, you have to get permission or, or uh, informed consent to be able to do this stuff. It seems to me that we missed a big opportunity because there was a quid pro quo here, which should have been, I will give you or give you access to my data if you promise to make my life easier, more worth, you know, worthwhile, enriched in some way. I think you're right. There was a period where the industry had a... Um had a chance to self-regulate yeah. in, that, in that regard. But I don't think we should be too harsh here on, on the industry and say we, we sort of failed in doing that because in the end, the reason why these, the GDPR is there and all this crackdown is now happening is because we've, we've let some companies get too big. You know, there's three or four companies that have all the data and they have uh, amassed a market uh, controlling position. And I think that's really what politicians are fighting back. It's not so much the smaller companies. Funnily enough, though, the legislation has actually made the bigger companies even stronger. Because they're the only guys that have the scale and the money and the budget to even deal with these issues and properly supporting GDPR and building the features required to enable all of the features that are required based on the legislation. And, and so it's kind of backfired a little bit. Because mm. right? the small companies actually struggle with being yes. compliant. Yeah. You know, so even being able to use the data that they've collected to in, improve the customer experience becomes way beyond their, you know, their capabilities because they're so worried about being in breach of the legislation. Yeah, it, it sucks up a lot of their energy, right, and, and the, the time that they have. And I think that's why we're seeing the political conversation changing right now to um, uh, antitrust again. It's moved on magically from the privacy, and now we're talking about antitrust and breaking up because that's really what they're after. You know, they tried to work it with one way and didn't quite work out, and so it's, it's moved on. Anyway, that's sort of just my personal theory, but, yeah. Um, and you mentioned earlier about your focus now is, a, is collecting data within organisations. Mm, yeah. And um, using that to allow people to be more efficient, effective. What? What could people be doing in their organisations if they actually had a way of collecting data about how they work? Look, maybe, maybe it was just me and we've been running um, uh, Daedalicious in a very inefficient way and I just had no idea what's going on in my business. But my gut feeling tells me that um, management or managers in general, it doesn't take much for you to lose touch with what your team is doing. I've, I had plenty of examples of people only maybe being two or three steps removed from me and I had no idea they were doing a great job. It just never really bubbled up to me. I didn't have the time because I had to run to the next sales meeting or whatever, right? There's a lot of other important stuff going on. And so... I really feel that we've, we've, we've turned a corner and we've reached a point where data is so readily available in a team context. I can, you know, I see all the emails you send, meetings you attend, files you edit, Slack messages you post, Jira tasks you complete. We can see all that. It's all readily available through APIs. And so why not use that information to uh, create some additional transparency in the organization? What's doing well and what isn't doing well? Because ultimately I feel when people take a new job, they are quite pumped about that new job and they want to do 
a good job. They want to contribute. They want to. They want to uh, contribute to the company. They want to. They want to uh, uh, um, change things. But over time, people get desensitized because we have this sort of hierarchical management structure in place where only the guy at the top really knows what's going on and then withholds a little bit more information uh, from everybody else, right? And so it becomes really hard to contribute because you, you're not always understanding the the the, the goal and the objectives. And, I th and we're trying to uh, uh, solve that through KPIs, but really what we want to do and what the, what the employees are actually asking for is they want to see how the company is doing. Mm. We tried that as an example um, with Datalicious as well. And we showed uh, the employees our P&L for a couple of months. And unfortunately, that was a little bit of a mistake because you know, they can see the profit and that's the only thing they see. They don't understand the risk associated with generating that profit. Yeah. And so the only thing they do is asking for a raise, right? Now, we're trying to create a scenario where everybody can see the, 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 the performance of the business. Where are we going? What clients performing well? Which ones don't? And we make that very, very visible. So it turns into a bit of a, uh, a tribal culture where everybody knows what the common objective is and can contribute towards that. Yeah. That's at least the, the idea that we're working on at the moment, probably a few more months away from Sounds exciting. that around. And, and Datalicious was how many employees across how many markets? In the end, it was um, uh, close to 50 people across probably five, six markets, seven markets across APAC. You imagine that type, if you scale that from you know, 50 people to 500 people to 5,000 uh, people. Just multiply the problem, right? It could get even worse. But this could actually help solve that because what we're seeing is a lot of big organizations are doing things such as trying to embrace agile, mm -hmm. right? Agile philosophies, agile ways of working because what they're realizing is that the traditional hierarchical approach, you know, as you said a minute ago, that the guy at the top has the vision of everything and everyone's in their hierarchy and they get the information that they're required to have to do their job. If you actually in some ways democratize the performance metrics of the business. If people could see where value was being created, where value was being lost, where performance was multiplying the returns for everyone, then suddenly in some ways you're informing people to be more engaged, to be more agile because you are in a way using information to collapse the hierarchy. Uh, that's so that's exactly the idea, right? We we are trying to create a very simple metric, which we're calling revenue per event. So we're we're tying all the different events together, and we're borrowing from our experience in attribution, where it's about distributing revenue across events that participated in that revenue. And so that's what we're doing in HR. We're taking all the events that happen in a team, and we're tracking them all the way through to the invoices that are then being sent out for these events. And we're calculating a, an event called revenue per event. We can aggregate that at a team level, at a client level, geography level, and graph that over time. And I think people may say that's a little bit oversimplified, but in the end, the business is about making revenue. Forget about all the other KPIs and metrics. They just, they just sprung up because we had no better way of looking at this, right? But if I could give you an idea at every layer of the organization what the revenue per event looks like, that becomes a very powerful single KPI that everybody actually understands and can work towards. And let them make their own decision. Let them come to work in the morning and look at their, their list of tasks that they have to achieve and let them prioritize themselves. Hey, I'm working on this client over here, $5 revenue per event. Well, there's a task for somebody else coming up over there, $20 revenue per event. Well, I probably should be working on the $20 per, per revenue per event task than the other one. Let them. 
but it's just about giving them the right information. And I think people would really welcome that. And it could, it could generally turn a workplace into, into what we like to call a tribe. Everybody has a common goal. They understand it. It's simple. And let them self-organize. I know we're a little bit further away from making that a reality, but that's no, at least but, what we're but sort of... isn't that what, in some ways, organizations that have embraced agile uh, ways of working are trying to do? They're trying to break down the hierarchy into uh, team into teams of people focused on delivering particular tasks in a more agile way. What I'm saying is that the part that's missing from that is that there's no feedback in the feedback loop. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. I think I think agile. The way it's implemented these days, without that overarching information of what works well and what doesn't, it's really just a way of making mistakes faster and correcting them faster. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. You know, we're using an agile way of building this product, and it helps us quick feedback, not, not working, change it, do this, right? But overall, in that agile environment, if you don't have something, some intelligence in there that helps you prioritize and judge what you're doing is good or not, then you're still quite ineffective, right? And it also doesn't, another key point is also it doesn't contribute to the overall morale and motivation of the business, right? I think that's one of the key things we're trying to do. We're not trying to turn this into a big brother that you use to audit whether somebody's at work long enough. Well, I have to say that's where my mind went when you first mentioned the idea of collecting data within organisations because, you know, we've all seen those 1950s, 60s films where the time and motion expert would turn up with the clipboard and the uh, stopwatch and work out how long it took you to do task A and if you did it this way, it would be half that time. So, you know, you're actually not talking about uh, the data of efficiency. You're actually talking about the data of performance. Yeah. Organizational performance. I think, um, look, there's obviously the potential that uh, a tool like this will be abused in, in a way like that. And um, we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about how we can avoid that. One of the ways is, is not turn it into a beam counter tool, as in not reporting individual uh, down to the penny or the, down to the minute, right? It's about graphing major trends. Is something going up or down from week to week, month to month maybe, right? I think there's ways to navigate that. But in the end, you need a, you need a business that, that has a certain attitude, right? It wants to be more open with its employees. It wants to, yeah. it wants to create a more streamlined hierarchy. And I think then you can, you can make that work. Um, we're living in a society where, where you know, I don't think something like privacy doesn't really exist anymore. We, we're fighting back heavily, right, with legislation in and, and, and lots of different ways. But ultimately, if we're honest to ourselves, is privacy is kind of come and gone. Well, I think people are trying to cling on to the idea of privacy because they have not felt the benefits of giving up on it, yeah. right? They've only felt the downsides of giving up on privacy. So there's this sense of when people feel out of control, they want to get back control. How do I get control where I feel that my private information, my personal information about me is now beyond my control because it's now belonging to someone else who can use it however they like. So in some ways, trying to legislate privacy is incredibly difficult. It's a ham-fisted way to answer the problem, which is privacy doesn't exist. Every time I interact with in almost anything, there is data being collected about me. You know, I remember when London was, uh, they said there are more um, CCTV cameras in London than any other city in the world. That meant that as you were walking down the street, there was data being collected about where you went anyway. Your mobile phone is a tracking device, mm. whether you like it or not. 
you know, and it's also a microphone that can listen in on conversations. You know, we see those spy films where they smash the phone and remove the battery to stop. You know, these are all in some ways paranoid, but in, in another way realistic views of the world, that we live in a world where we are being observed. So the question should be not how do I stop that happening, because the only way to do it is go off the grid, as they say in quotes, <laughs> you know, go and live somewhere where there's no internet, there's no satellite surveillance, there's nothing, and live that yeah. primitive life, or just start to demand the return on that investment. The investment is I'm giving up this data about me, which you're going to take anyway, all I'm demanding in return is a return on that investment. And I think we, we're starting to see that in, in the US, right? There's, a, there's some startups in the US that are now allowing the consumer to monetize their data, mm. right? And um, uh, contribute whatever they know uh, about themselves and then sell it off to individual brands who are happy to pay for it. Funnily enough, the price being paid for that is actually not very high. No. Yeah, it's not really, It's not being valued at, at 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 a very high price. And I thought so. You, we're gonna have to overcome that issue, right? Because otherwise, I think the consumer is just gonna feel cheated again. So, I, yeah, and I think as soon as you turn it into paying me a dollar amount, see, it's interesting um, because I'm a Qantas frequent flyer, mm. so I'm happy to give up that information because I get, depending on my loyalty levels, my you know, I get a certain level of recognition. Hmm. Being paid an emotional return... More powerful, right? ...is much more yes. powerful. If they turned around and said, oh, we're going to give you $2 off your flight, I'd go, well, that's ridiculous, or we'll give you a free drink. You know, it's just ridiculous because you're turning it into a money, monetary value. Hmm. But it's, it's always giving, been fall short. Yeah, yeah but giving people recognition. I mean, ultimately, isn't that why brands are wanting to collect this data or businesses want to collect this data about their customers is because they want to give them a experience that makes them keep coming back and spending more and more money with you more often to make you more profitable and not go to the competitors. Yeah. So to turn it into paying you for your data, no, don't pay me, but give me a level of uh, experience that's commensurate with what I'm giving you. I think you're spot on. And, and I think that lesson is being learned very, very quickly by these companies. They don't tend to stick around for very long. They sort of pop up every one or two years, somebody gives it a go, and it then this quietly fades into the background. Because you can, you can never pay enough to make it, to make, pay the consumer enough to make it actually feel like a, a gratifying uh, uh, exchange, right? But what I like about your focus on using data and analytics to make employees feel more part of the organisation, more part of the success of the organisation. And not, I'm purely coming at this at a, as a marketer, is that I can also see it will overcome one of the big problems that we face in business, which is all these areas of specialty, all trying to play land grabs. You know, there's the sales team are arguing with the marketing team. There's operations that are arguing with someone else. There's the finance people that argue with everyone. There's the <laughs> procurement people that are just no one wants to talk to, you know, or whatever, right? But if you actually got this to work, there is, and, and I'm, I'm 
drawing on the fact that when we first met, yeah. when you and I first met, one of your big things was about media attribution and attribution models based on data, mm. is that you could start to build into this once you got enough data into the system for the company, attribution of value. Because it wouldn't be just about $5 for that event or $20 for that event, that you would start to see the the organisation as a organism mm. where all these parts are actually making a contribution to the outcome. Absolutely. I, I think it's time that we have a computer or an algorithm decide that for us. Right? We can do that. The data is there, the technology is there, and that's what we're trying to do. Take all this debate out of it. I'm just going to give you a report and say, this team has contributed X revenue, this team has contributed Y revenue. We're going to do it in a way that is that is that protects individuals, people's privacy, but it'll give you information to make a, a, a better decision. And um, yeah, you know, I think um, we use, we're borrowing heavily from our past experience of, of media attribution because it's pretty much the same thing. Tying revenue to ad impressions versus tying revenue to individual team actions is very, very similar concept, obviously, right? I, I did consider becoming a barista there for a while, but I figured it might be just better to stick to sort of things that you know. Something that you know. With. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you've drunk enough coffee to probably think that you'd be a good barista. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be disastrous. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're still seeing those discussions happening between sales and marketing, for instance, mm. where sales are taking the, the uh, value of the bottom of the funnel, last click attribution, in the real world and marketing is almost because there is no attribution for their contribution no agreed attribution they're moving down the funnel to play at that same level I look I think the point where it always went wrong with attribution projects and the, the point we're probably gonna it's gonna go wrong with this this new HR analytics tool that we're working on is if it's being used for bean counting if you're trying to figure out exactly how many pennies did this person or this campaign or that, who cares? You don't run a business like that. You're trying to use information to find big trends. Am I growing in this space? Have I generated a big spike with this campaign or activity? Is this client generating more and more revenue versus the other one? Is this team more efficient than the other one in a significant way? Like anything that shows me a significant trend, whether it's positive, and I can exploit it and try to create the same trend elsewhere or it's negative and it's something that I have to fix. That's what I'm looking for, right? And in, in marketing, people make that mistake as well. They, just, they, they, they turn it into a bean counting tool rather than for look for big changes and use it as a tool to implement an effective test-learn strategy, right? That's, if you don't do that, it goes wrong. Mm. And I think we still see that. It's sort of a lesson that I think everybody has to learn at least five times before they, <laughs> they really it's true. You incorporate know, but, that. Oh, because I think um, so often we think we're working in you know, a cause and effect universe. We think that you know, if you do something and you get a result, that every time you do it, you'll get the same result. Yeah, correlation, causation, not always related, is it? No. no. And in fact, we work in a, you know, if you look at complexity theory, Complexity theory and most human systems that we create or exist in are complex. They're not simple. There's very little cause and effect. They're actually incredibly complex systems where at best you can notice trends, but you can't actually get to cause and effect. 
You know, it's interesting, like economics mm. will point to particular things, but they always do it after the event, right? They'll always try and make sense of the changes that happen in economics. Traffic flow is another one that's incredibly difficult because it's complex. And I think that's one of the, the, the key aspects here is providing information in a, in a timely fashion, right? I mean, um, you know, old school media mix models done once a year mm. happen after the fact. By the time you get the results and use that to plan your campaign for the next year, you, things have probably already changed. You know what I mean? So that's what we try to change media, media attribution, right? We try to create a, a real-time reporting mechanism that shows you every day how things are going. So you have very, very uh, uh, um, uh, up-to-date information on what's working, what's not, to then implement a ongoing test-and-learn culture in the organization, just to facilitate this test-and-learn thing, not to encourage a bean-counting exercise. And the same thing that we're trying to, to establish with our, with our HR tool is not meant to, to be in camp where people spend their time. It's about unearthing big macro trends in the organization that, and doing that in, in real time every week rather than at the end of the quarter or end of the year when you look at your P&L. So you still have time to make a decision, right? The, the, the big overarching strategy, and not sure if we're ever going to get there. Initially, I think it will be just a fairly dumb reporting tool with some automated alerts, but... Our big grand vision is to build a, an AI engine that assists people in managing their business. If you're building an AI, it's a very complicated process and you really need a common goal to optimize to, mm. right? And I think that's not present in most organizations because the environment is too complicated. It, you're trying to do so many different things to make a business run. If you give an AI to learn all these things, it's probably not going to happen. We're trying to totally simplify that and say, we're going to come up with this new metric. It's called revenue per event, and that's the single goal that we're optimizing the business towards. You know, maybe down the track, uh, profit per event, if we, can, if we can crack that. But the point is, there's one metric. We're going to try to accumulate that across uh, uh, several clients, probably need a few hundred for that, if we get to that scale. And then we have a true crack at building uh, an AI designed to assist businesses in managing the day-to-day -day business. Wouldn't it be amazing if in your business, there's a little computer sitting there and telling you the things that go wrong, gives you advice on how you should be managing your business so you can focus on your core competency uh, rather than having to deal with all these other distractions, which well, like sucks up most of your time in the end, right? Absolutely, but also can tell you where to focus your efforts and energies because they've been the areas that are Give you guidance you and priority, yes, yes. So you can prioritize your day, prioritize your efforts. But I like the idea of the democratization of that within the organization. So that, you know, because I have heard of people talk about AIs for the CEO and AIs for the CMO and AIs for the CFO. But the idea of actually providing that real-time feedback loop that is actually allowing the organization to align and perform in the areas that are going to give the biggest return or the biggest you know, benefit. Yeah, I, look, I think that the, the solution to getting around the privacy and, and big brother question is truly to, to watch the granularity as in how, how detailed you're providing the information. And number two, make it absolutely transparent. Everybody has access, it's not a management tool. Everybody down to the smallest employee can have a look of what's going on. And I think that creates buy-in. It immediately eliminates the idea of we're trying to do something nefarious. No, you can see what we're doing. Yeah. See, because I think, uh, do you know many um, organisations that have truly embraced agile ways of working that are not in the software development area? Uh, look, 
I've never really asked myself that question. Like I'm, I'm really going out on a limb here a little bit with this, with this new venture. I just, I just assume that other people are as inefficient in, in running small to medium sized businesses than I was with Datalicious. You know, Ho hopefully I'm not the only guy that had these issues. But um, uh, I've had a lot of meetings over the last uh, a few weeks coming back to Australia, and, and this is exactly what I'm trying to find. Um, companies that have that problem or find find that approach interesting and are interested in. in in uh, running a private beta and trying to play with 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 a tool like that, you know, I think that's that's one of the key things I'm trying to achieve at the moment. I, I just uh, you know you hear of so many organisations going through a transformation to become more agile, but I think uh, talking to you today, the thing that's missing is that real time feedback loop, because you can work in an agile process, but unless you're actually seeing benefit you're seeing a, you know, a, a sense of progress. I think that's what Agile works so well for software development because it's about test and learn, test and learn, Iterative test and approach, learn, yeah. right? But imagine when you reduce that to a standard business process. Well, imagine three different Agile teams. In the current setup, whether these Agile teams working in the right direction or not is entirely dependent on the manager of the Agile team. Mm -hmm. Within that Agile team, they will figure out sooner or later or quicker yeah, yeah. Um, the best way to conform to what that manager wants. But what if that manager is wrong and then working on the right thing? What if he's not communicating insights well enough that everybody knows, everybody understands what the true problem is so that they can effectively contribute insights? What if all of these three different Agile teams are not dependent on their manager to find out what the business priority is? Everybody in these teams understands exactly or a lot better of, of what it is that drives the business that needs to be improved and everybody can come up with ideas and help prioritize their own agile process. Mm. That would be a lot more efficient. Uh, so I think that's, I hope I explained that well, but I think that's where the breakdown is in, in the current agile approach. It's a good step forward, but it, it, it's not giving all the participants in the agile process all the information they need to do a really good job. Christian, it's uh, terrific to catch up with you. Uh, we've run out of time already. Um, but just uh, before we go, uh, so how long before this brave new world will exist?